0: So we're going to be studying first in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you turn with me there, we'll be there for the entirety of this message. 1 Kings chapter 17. And just to preface this story here, in 1 Kings 16, towards the end of that chapter, Ahab is made king over Israel, and he is an absolutely evil king. Um, He marries this woman Jezebel, and we've heard her name, we know who she is relatively as far as her story goes, but her background is actually really interesting as well. Um, She was not just a Gentile woman, or she was not just a worshiper of foreign gods, she was actually the daughter of the ruler of Tyre and Sidon. His name was Ethbaal, or Ethbaal, depending on how you pronounce that god's name, is it Baal or Baal, people have different views. Um, so she was a worshiper of this God, Baal, but she was also a princess of another nation, a foreign nation. And this represented a great alliance politically for the nation of Israel. And so when Ahab married this woman, politically, it might've been a great move, but spiritually, it brought the entire nation into, um, paganism, worshiping this God, Baal. And so then in first Kings 17 verse one, we pick this up after Ahab has been, um, made king, married this woman, and driven his nation basically into the worst paganism that Israel had ever seen up to that point. And it says here in verse 17, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And this this phrase here is so interesting. As the Lord God of Israel lives. This is something that we should keep in mind, because it's going to come back in towards the end of the section I'll be reading here. So remember that phrase, as the Lord God of Israel lives, and he's declaring that there's going to be a drought. And this is direct uh, proof from God that he is supreme over the foreign gods, right? Baal is a storm god that Israel is now finding themselves worshiping. And so stopping the rain is not just punishment. Uh, for the nation or for Ahab, but it's actually proof of God's continued existence and his authority. So when, when he says, as the Lord God lives, it's this negative thing is going to happen to you because he does live. He is real. He is acting. He is still the God of this world and this nation. Uh, then in verse 2, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This is always such an interesting thing. We We would read right through it because the Bible says it so many times. But I always wonder, for the prophets, how did the word of the Lord come to them? Now, the word of the Lord sounds like it would be in a voice. Um, And that does, we do see that happening throughout scripture. But it's interesting to me, there's sections, uh, specifically Genesis 15, is one where the word of the Lord appears to Abraham in a vision. And it kind of speaks to this, almost this... um, this visual aspect of the word of the Lord. Now that's not foreign to us because we have a New Testament understanding of the word of God being Jesus Christ, right? But in this ancient world, we would say the word of the Lord came to them. It must've been auditory only, but there is the potential here for a being to have appeared to Elijah here. So it's just something worth thinking about. It doesn't have to be him walking along his way and hearing a voice in his head. Someone could have actually come to him and it could have been God himself saying to do this next thing that he's gonna do. So then in verse 3, the word of the Lord says to Elijah, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now this section here, um, often if I was just reading this as narrative, I would just say, okay, he told him to go to a place and he went to a place and he was going to do a miracle here. But what's interesting is this brook, Cherith, that flows into the River Jordan is actually right near the home of Elijah. It's in Gilead where he was actually from. So God is telling him, go back home, go back to the place you're familiar with, I'll take care of you there. Not only because this is a place where God's going to care for his physical needs but also he knows that the thing that Elijah just said is going to make him incredibly unpopular in Israel. Could you imagine going to America? Me as an American going to the head of my nation and saying this country's going down. I don't even though I disagree with the current administration in America on so many things I don't know if I've had I would have the guts to go and say that. So this is a big deal and God knows he's not going to be popular for this statement. And we actually see that bear itself out. Later, Ahab and Jezebel try hunting him down and killing him. They end up killing a ton of prophets just to try and get to Elijah, um, which incidentally just reminds me of Jesus' story with Herod, right, where he tried to kill all of these children to try and get at Christ, um, not knowing exactly where he'd be. They do the same thing with Elijah. Let's just kill a bunch of prophets and hope Elijah's amongst them. That's exactly what happens here. And uh, I think it speaks to the threat that Elijah was to the king and the threat that God was to this god Baal that they were worshiping. Moving on then in verse 6, it says, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Again, a, a verse just I would read straight through typically. But think about what this would represent for Elijah. He does this thing, does what God says to do, but then over time the brook dries up. Why? Because of the curse that God put on the land, that there'd be no water. So Elijah himself is thinking, I'm going to be safe from this drought, and then notices himself suddenly not being so safe. The brook dries up. I personally might have a question about how much I can trust God at that point. And this is what the writer is uh, of 1 uh, Kings is trying to bring up to us, is this is a moment of question for Elijah. Will he remain faithful, even though the promise of God seems to be dwindling along and um, kind of fading as the curse of Israel gets more and more prevalent? And the, the answer is that he, Elijah does, does remain faithful, and we'll see that in the next section, but it's, it's just so interesting because Elijah's been so faithful up to this point. Speak to the king in this manner. That takes faith to do. Obey God by trusting in him for sustenance as you see a drought coming on. And Elijah did it. But now at this point, will his faith hold on? And he does. And so that's what we see in verse 8. This is um, kind of going to the conclusion of this section here. This is the answer of, is Elijah going to remain faithful? And this is actually the section that inspired me to talk about this portion of verses here. Verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. So, think about what this means. God commands Elijah to go to an evil king and condemn his actions and declare a drought on the land. Then he says, okay, now run, go hide, go hide back home. This is an easy command, right? Right? I would go back home too if I thought my life was in danger. But now Elijah's life is in danger again because he's seeing the brook dry up and God says, okay, go to Zarephath, which, what's Zarephath? It says it belongs to Sidon, which is exactly where Jezebel was from, Tyre and Sidon. So her father owns this land and God is saying, go there. Not only is it full of Gentile people who do not believe like you believe, But it is also ruled by the very person that probably wants you dead most in the world. Go and hide there. At the moment that Elijah is probably reasonable to question his trust in God, he's not reasonable to question his trust in God. Let me rephrase that. From a human standpoint, it would make the most sense that when the brook dries up, Elijah would question God, right? You promised you would take care of me. But this is also the moment that God chooses to test him even further and push his faith just a little bit further and see how much more faith he has in him, how much more trust he has in God. So, as the circumstance that's responsible for Elijah's potentially lowest point of trust, he's asked to do the thing that requires the most trust. And I think this is so interesting, not only because he's going into a Gentile land of people that hate him, but that. In Israel's view, God was relegated to this portion of land. He was in Israel. That's where God was. The temple was there. His presence was there. Going to this foreign land, how can my God protect me there? How can he follow me and provide for me in this land that is given over to pagan gods? This is, this is all questions that the reader should be asking. And it, we have to wonder, is it in Elijah's mind as well? Because we do see he has the faith to uh, continue on. And God says, see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So even in this place that is away from God, even in this place of people that can't stand Elijah and his beliefs, even in this place that Elijah has condemned to drought, at least God has condemned through Elijah, God will provide for him there, but it says he commanded a widow. And I want us to take special note here because it doesn't seem in the rest of the story as if the widow is even aware that she has been commanded. That is so interesting to me. Why would God say he commanded a widow who does not seem to understand that she's been commanded to do a thing? I think to me it shows that God is not limited by not only where we are or what circumstance we find ourselves in, but he's not even limited by people who believe in him or don't believe in him, are following him, are aware of his place in their lives. He can work even with them for our benefit. And that to me is awesome. And I think it was um, definitely a bolstering of Elijah's faith here because in verse 10 we see it says so he arose and went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink and as she was going to get it he called to her and said please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand so Elijah obeys here his faith was still strong this is the answer of the questions we should have had before this is a good example for us In verse 12, so she said, as the Lord your God lives. Remember that verse from the beginning. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread only, a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I can go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I have nothing. Remember what Elijah promised. As the Lord my God lives, you will have nothing. No rain, no food. This is coming because of drought. And she's saying, as the Lord your God lives, it's true. I have nothing. I have nothing to give to you. Even the water she was going to give was so precious in this time because the brooks were drying up. It was a drought in the land. But she was willing to give that. And Elijah pushed her, tested her just a little bit further. Just like God had pushed him and tested him a little bit further. That parallel to me is so interesting. So then in verse 13, Elijah said to her, incredibly important words that I would just glance over in an instant. He said to her, do not fear. To this Gentile woman, this increasingly evident power of God would have meant nothing but death. It was not hope for anything. It was not hope of the power in the thing that she believed in. It was death to her death to her belief system, death to her entire nation. There was no hope here. And still, Elijah's message to her is do not fear. It's not just a platitude. It's a display of God's comfort to this Gentile woman that he's going to bless through Elijah. Elijah then says, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. So if we read this story, And we just simply conclude that God does miracles or that He did miracles for impressive people in the ancient years of the Bible, then we're missing what's being written to us here. We are like Elijah. We are here living amongst people who don't believe like we believe, who are becoming increasingly antagonistic to what we believe. But God does not just care for us here inside this building or inside of our Christian homes. He cares for us in the midst of people that hate us or want to destroy us. He cares for us in our difficult circumstances, our potentially faith-hindering moments, our uncomfortable places. He cares for us in all of this. He cares for us also by incredible means. It's not just that he passively cares. It's that he does something about that care. And he does it through ways that we don't always see how it's possible, like commanding the widow who didn't even know she was being commanded. God can work through ways that we don't even see as possible. He's not limited by caring for us. He's not limited by our circumstances. He's never hindered. In fact, the only way that God can be hindered, the only way that Elijah would not have received these blessings or the widow would not have received these blessings is if they hadn't obeyed if they had not followed his instruction as a show of faith. If Elijah had not gone to the widow, she could not have helped him. If the widow had only given the water and not the cake, then her resources would not have been replenished. The miracle can't work unless they act. That was God's stipulation. Through faith, through some type of faith, they believed and acted. And the same is true for us. If we don't see God working, or we're not sure how he can work in a given situation or circumstance, if we can't see the path that he would use to work something out for our lives, we need to, like Elijah and like this widow, trust that he can and let him anyways.